A woman spent the day frantically finishing up her shopping and with her arms loaded down with packages, she ran for the mall elevator and she got there and caught it just in time with her foot only to see the doors open and see that the elevator was completely full of other shoppers. Having been stopped on their trek to the next place, They kind of grumbled a little bit, but they cleared out a spot where the woman could squeeze in with all of her packages. As the doors were closing, the lady, exasperated, said, Whoever is responsible for this whole Christmas thing ought to be tarred and feathered and strung up and shot. And the rest of the occupants of the elevator, they kind of mumbled along. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah, they mumbled in agreement until one of them said, not to worry, they've already crucified him. Now, I wasn't sure if you were going to laugh or not, but I didn't expect you to. It's not a laughing matter when it comes down to it, is it? It is a joyous thing. Yes? But is it possible that we can get so caught up in the busyness of the season that we miss the Savior? That we miss the wonder of it all? Can we we be so busy, so distracted, so preoccupied that we miss the whole point of God made flesh? coming for you because he loves you and he wants you to have a way to come home to him. Now, if you stop and think about it, you take the most joyous Christmas morning you have ever had in your whole life and that doesn't compare to the joy when you get to see his face. That first Christmas night, there were shepherds on the hill outside Bethany spending the night with the herd animals that were left in their care. Suddenly, without warning, the sky was bright as the noonday sun, as the heavens were filled with angels singing and glorifying God, announcing the birth of a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If you had been there that night, would that have gotten your attention? Can I get a yes or a yes? Yes. Why? Well, you know, we have a little phrase. Seeing is what? Seeing is seeing is believing, right? If you were there and you saw all of that, you couldn't help but say, did I just see that? You just saw that? We just saw that? What does that mean? What do we need to do? Right? Because seeing is believing. Yet now, some 2,000 years removed from that night, many, in fact, most, Doubt the veracity of that moment. And we know why. Because we humans 
tend to believe what we see or, or what we experience. Because it's not just what we see, but goes past that, right? See, it's just a metaphor in there. What we see, what we experience. Now, we can suspend our disbelief and get caught up in an entertaining story, whether we're reading a book or watching TV or, or watching a movie. But if you want me to accept something that seems like fantasy as fact, well, most of us are going to say, I got to see it for myself. Yes? <laughs> Thomas isn't the only one, is he? We all have times when we're like that. And throughout the ages, there's always been skeptics, and there's a ton of skeptics in the world today. And you know, skeptics have always claimed, if I've never seen it, it didn't happen. Forgetting that throughout all history, there are things that are unexplainable firsts. Things that people thought were fantasy. Well, let me give you a couple of examples. Things that you take for granted that used to be considered fantasy. No possible way it could be true. The Holy Office of the Roman Catholic Church issued an edict on March 5th of 1616, which reads in part like this. The view that the sun stands motionless at the center of the universe is foolish philosophically false, utter heretical because it is contrary to Holy Scripture. The view that the earth is not the center of the universe and even has a daily rotation is philosophically false and at least an erroneous belief. And yet we accept a solar system these days. And we see God's hand in that. And even science has shown that if the earth were just a couple of degrees further out or a couple of degrees further in, life as we know it could not exist on this planet. In the 1800s, a fellow by the name of Napoleon Bonaparte, you ever heard that name before? He heard about the idea of the steamboat, and he totally rejected it as nonsense. In fact, what he said was, there's no way that you can set a bonfire in the belly of a boat. Speaking of steam, 1825, in the March edition of the Quarterly Review, it's, it said, what could be more palpably absurd then the prospect that locomotives could travel twice as fast as stagecoaches. Oh, let's, let's go a little bit further. 1830s, only five years later, Dr. Larnell of University College in London said, rail travels 
at high speeds is not possible because passengers unable to, to breathe would die of asphyxia. Eighteen thirty-nine, French surgeon Alfred Valpo, talking about the idea of anesthesia, anesthesia to be used in surgery, which had never happened before. He said, "The abolishment of pain in surgery is chimera." You know that word? I don't either. I looked it up. It means fantasy or illusion. The abolishment of pain and surgery is fantasy, illusion. It is absurd to go on seeking it. Knife and pain are two words in surgery that must be forever associated in the conscience of the patient. Can I get an amen for people who are glad that anesthesia is actually real and not fantasy? Amen. 1842, Samuel Morris. What's Samuel Morris known for? Anybody know? You know the Morris Code. Telegraph, right? When he presented that idea to the U.S. Senate, their disbelief was so thick, they thought he was crazy. 1859, Edwin Drake was trying to put together a team to conduct the first ever oil drilling expedition. And he was told, drill for oil? You mean drill in the ground and try to find oil? You're crazy. See, the world is full of unexplainable firsts. Thomas Edison, 1889, said of George Westinghouse's idea of alternating current, he said, fooling around with alternating current is a waste of time. Nobody will use it ever. Lord Kelvin, president of the British Royal Society in 1895, said heavier-than-air flying machines are impossible. By the way, this is the same guy that said x-rays will prove to be a hoax. 1809, Scientific American in the January 2nd edition published an article saying that the automobile, 1909, the automobile, has practically reached the end of its development since no major improvements have been made in the past year. (laughs) Too bad for Elon Musk. 1936, New York Times, in an article printed there, said that a rocket will never be able to leave the Earth's atmosphere. I can go on. I picked those because... From your point of view, you're like, but we take all of that for granted. But at one point, none of that was even seen to be a possibility. It was just fantasy. All of those things once thought impossible are now commonplace. Just think about this. Just in your 
lifetime. What has come about in your lifetime that you never thought was possible? Radio? Maybe a couple of you. Some of us actually grew up. Radio was already around. What about color TV? That gets to me because I at least had a black and white TV. But even that was strange. What about computers? Putting a man on the moon. Cell phones. Or video chatting with your with your kids in real time who are in China. By the way, that's possible. (laughs) Friends, we are constantly seeing things once thought impossible that are really true. Why can't we accept that God has the power to do something Unique. Maybe we need to take into account the response of the shepherds when this angel throng gave them good news. Having witnessed that, they definitely did react. Their first reaction was, let's go see. Let's go see this new thing that's going on. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds came to one another. Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened that the Lord has told us about. When you get good news that you believe, do you react to it? When you get bad news that you believe, do you react to it? Yes? Yes. When you hear news that you believe and you react, your curiosity is piqued, and what do you do? You act on that information, and lots of times you want to go find more information about it. With Jesus, there comes a time when you do have to drop everything and come from wherever you are or whatever you were doing to seek more information, to perhaps meet the Savior. Come out of your busyness. Come out of your preoccupation with personal success. Come out of your sorrow, out of grief, out of confusion, out of doubt, out of weariness. And see the amazing work of God in worship. Come doubtful if you must. But come and take an honest look at who Jesus is and what he stands for. The Bible throughout history has been the best-selling book of all time. You at least, if you want to be intellectually honest, ought to at least sit and read it for yourself. And as you're reading about the life of Christ, 
Ask yourself, are these the words and the actions of a liar or a lunatic? Or is he who he said he was, Lord of all? Read it for yourself. The shepherd's second reaction. Having seen the Christ child in effect, they said, let's go and tell. There in Luke 2, 17, when they had seen him, they spread the word, considering what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Can can you see them as they're rushing into Bethany? Can you see them into Bethlehem? Excitingly telling everyone they meet about this, this midnight adventure that happened? about the angel's anthem, and about the baby's soft cooing. My, my uncle, he lives over there. I'm going to go tell him. And then someone else says, God spoke to us. And then somebody else says, you're not going to believe this. But the Christ child is here. Notice also that those shepherds don't seem to be too worried about having a carefully crafted apologetic. All they really know is what they saw and what they experienced. Friend, do you remember what it was like, how excited you were when you first understood who Christ was and you gave your life over to him, burying that old life in the waters of baptism to be raised to a new creature? Do you remember how that felt? I bet you didn't have all the answers, yet... You didn't need a memorized formula for sharing the plan of salvation. You just had the desire to tell other people, I have met the Lord and my life changed. Now I admit, having done an awful lot of study, sitting in class, sitting in Sunday school, listening to a lifelong number of sermons, I have to admit that sometimes I get distracted and wondering what's going to convince somebody else to believe that Christ had saved me and can save them too. Yet I don't see that in the shepherds. What I see is them not worrying about whether or not somebody believed them because they knew what they saw. They knew what they experienced. I just see them telling people about that. I think sometimes we might be more effective if we remembered that it's the Holy Spirit that actually does the convicting. And like the shepherds, we, we remember that we are just simply witnesses telling other people what God has done in our life. That, that's all we're called to do is to influence them because we have been influenced by God. 
the other reaction we see from the shepherds in effect is, let's go and live. Luke 2.20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Because you think about it, they couldn't stay in the village. They couldn't stay close to the manger. They had to go back to work. They had to go back to the flocks, to their families, to their return, to their routines. But friend, they didn't go back the same. Our experience with Christ is not just a single wonderful emotional event. That might be the beginning of a life of worship. And in that life of worship, we are growing closer to God as he is drawing us closer to him. Never forget that we bring glory to God when our lives inhabit praise. And when people see you with an indescribable joy, with a peace when the world is turning upside down, and they ask you, can you tell them why your life has changed? Just to let them know and wait for them to say, Tell me more about that. It's a new life. No longer live for ourselves, but for he who died for me and for you. It's a life of praise and honor to the king of kings. What one thing has Jesus changed in your life that swells within you to the point of praise and who will you tell about it today simply to bring glory to God Father God We thankful, we are thankful how in your word we see that you came for the lowly, the simple, even for those that were learned. That you came for people whose hearts were open to see that you were doing a new thing. And you came that we might have life through your Son beyond what we see. We thank you, Father, for these moments of decision. And we pray that your Spirit will move among us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
Remember those connection cards. Maybe you're not ready to come forward today, but maybe you want to learn something more. Why don't you use that card and make sure you give it to me as you leave. Put it in the little pink box, and I'll get with you. If you're here today and you want to make a decision today, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing? Thank you.